God, as we wait here in this, uh, this time of praise and worship to you, as we've sung and prayed and gathered, um, we do make room for you this morning. Make room for you in our heart to speak to us as you will. God, if we have any intentions or any plans, anything that we have decided that was outside of your will or was not according to your plan, may we hear what you want us to do. God, would you please um, gently, if possible, stop us from going places we, we ought not to go? And would you just loudly tell us where you want us to be, God? We, we make room for you to do whatever you'd like in our heart, in our families, in our homes, in our jobs, in our, our finances, our time, our relationships, our energy, our sexuality, whatever it is, God, you, you have your way. God, do whatever you want to do in our hearts. And as a result, we, we do give you our heart. We want to live for you alone, but we're, we're so distracted by so many other things. Keep our focus on you. God, I pray your spirit would um, do exactly what we've just asked. Speak to us as we hear from your word today, as, as we share hope in you, as we minister to one another. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I'd like to ask you a couple things, if I may, um, as we're getting started. We, we got a short time together, and I want to make sure that you get out of today exactly what God wants for you, and maybe what God wants from you, and receive what he has for you as well. Um, so if you could take this thing out, if you could, for a minute. Um, for those of you that are over the age of 60 years old, these things have a thing called silence on them. Um, so if you could silence your phones, um, that'd be amazing. You silence, put on, do not disturb, put it away. We do have, we have some scriptures on our app that show some of the verses we're reading from, but you can look at those later. Um, we'll have the verses up on the screen uh, behind me. And if you're joining us online today, welcome. Um, we are going to be meeting online now at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And so welcome. Thank you for joining us online today. And so if you could take off, uh, put away your phones, Put them on silent, and if you could try to eliminate moving around very much. If you have kids, they can make noise. That's fine. That's what kids do. Um, but if you're an adult, simmer down. <laughs> um, I'd, like, I'd like your attention. Uh, this last couple weeks, I, I haven't been speaking. I was supposed to be in Brazil uh, right now. Um, that trip didn't end up happening, and instead Brazil is coming to us, and so our friends Danny and Tiago will be here um, in the next two Sundays. They won't be speaking in our services, but we'll have them share with you. Um, they'll be here to, to minister to you and hopefully you to them, and they'll be teaching this Word by Heart class that we talked about as well, and um, if you'd like to um, bless them while they're here, um, take them out to dinner, anything like that, they'll be staying with my wife and I, and um, we just really want to support them, love on them, bless them while they're here before God sends them off to their next assignment that they're going to. Um, so be prepared to welcome them. Also, I do want to invite you next week um, right during our 9 a.m. service. So if you came here today at 11, if you would like to go and we ask you, please come to our on-ramp breakfast that's during our 9 a.m. service in our kids' wing. If you want to come to that next week and then just uh, head upstairs following to attend this service, on-ramp is a good way to learn about our mission, vision, 
values and beliefs as a church and mainly how you can be involved. Uh, this is something we ask you to go to if you'd like to serve here. And we ask you to go to if you'd like to become a member here. Uh, On-ramp is kind of the start of that process. And that will be again next week during our 9 a.m. service. It's a good way to meet some leaders and um, have some of your questions you might have answered as to what kind of a church we are and all those kind of things. So as I mentioned, I, I, haven't, I haven't spoke for a couple of weeks. And last week, uh, I ended up getting away um, to Southern California. I was looking for sun and I was gone for about eight days, and I think I found sun five of the days. And so that's a win. And it, I didn't find much warmer temperatures, but I did find some sunshine. And some dear friends here at our church let us stay at a timeshare in uh, the city of Oceanside, which is in San Diego County. And while I was there in Oceanside, um, got to stay at this, this beautiful resort. And just down the boardwalk from where I was staying was what is the longest wooden pier in the United States. And it may actually be the longest wooden pier in the world. I'm not sure about that. Um, but I have an image. Uh, I'll, I'll show you. We can keep that up on the screen for a while. Um, that's called Blue Sky. And um, it's light out because there's something called the sun shining. And there is places where it's not gray all winter long. Um, it's a surprise, but there is. And so this pier, if, if you've ever been to um, California, there's a lot of piers in these beach towns. This particular pier does not have a Ferris wheel or a roller coaster or overpriced rides. It does not have stores. It didn't have restaurants. It's just a pier. And oftentimes these piers in California, there's always lots of fishermen uh, fishing off of the pier, um, catching you know, different types of rockfish or whatever is biting on those particular days. And for some reason, this pier, there were more people fishing at this pier than any other pier I've been to. So it's apparently a good fishing spot. So I walked down to the pier, um, started to walk onto the pier, saw all of the fishermen, saw a lot of, there's a lot of surfers there, even though it's the middle of the week. Um, there is water that does not cause hypothermia if you get into other places as well. Um, but they still had wetsuits on. And so there's surfers, there was fishermen, and wherever there are fishermen along the ocean, there are um, seagulls. And seagulls, you know, I really don't understand why um, the seagull is not our national bird. Um, seagulls are much more majestic than, than eagles, let alone bald eagles. Um, they are basically just these glorified rats with wings, and they're very uninvasive. They don't bother you. They don't make much noise. They don't beg. They're just pleasant animals to have around. And I think, you know, God granted seagulls the ability to have some at least attractive plumage, those feathers, by the way. Um, I don't think I've ever used that word before. But they've got some, some nice plumage to give them a little bit of attractiveness despite being such wretched animals. And they do have this little orange thing on their beak that's, that's cool, you know. And, and who doesn't like the seagull from The Little Mermaid or the seagulls from Finding Nemo? Um, they're just not very endearing creatures. And so wherever there are fishermen, there are seagulls because they are crying out mine. They want to get some of the bait. They want to get some of uh, the catch even. Maybe get the guts as you clean out the fish. And they'll, they'll just completely surround you. Don't ever be the person that's never gone to the beach and like, we just came to feed the seagulls. Don't do it. You, you, are, you are a cause of a problem. And no one at your hotel room, no one at the beach wants the seagulls to bother them. You have just ruined their day. It's not that cool. Don't do it with geese either. 
It's a whole, geese are a whole nother creature. Demon possessed, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so the seagulls, I, I'm walking down the pier and I, I get to the first set of buildings that you see on the pier and they're doing some renovation of the pier and there's a gate that's blocking off a part of the pier and on the other side of the gate, there are, I see two seagulls. And to be honest, I'm actually afraid of birds. Um, I, I don't like birds. I love animals, but I don't really care for birds, especially if um, a bird gets in your house. That is terrifying. I'd rather have a burglar in my house than a bird. <laughs> not Literally not even a joke. Um, I had my, my friend and who works here at our church, Kristen Oakleberry, was sharing this video she made of some baby robins uh, that were at the YWAM base that were put out by their mom to learn how to fly on the stairs. And she made a video with the Sarah McLaughlin Arms of the Angel video <laughs> playing with it. You can show that to anybody who asks afterwards, Kristen. And then she proceeded to tell me that the next day, the only thing that was left of these baby birds who were learning to fly was just their little wings all over the stairs because the YWAM cat came and destroyed all of them. Because it's a good story. That's why. It was a good day for the cat. A bad day for those sweet little arms of the angel baby birds. So birds. But I grew up with, with my father, who's here today. My father, I noticed as a child, was really good with animals. Animals always liked when my dad would be around. And I think it was kind of like bad luck at hunting because they, they liked him. Uh, and so animals really always gravitated to him, especially when we went to people's house. And, and my dad would often form you know, bonds with cats and dogs. And, and I realized I kind of inherited that, as did my daughter, actually, as well. And... Wherever um, I go, there are typically animals are just are drawn to me. And a lot of homes I've been to, some of your homes I've been to, and you're like, you know, our dog normally bites people. It normally tears people to shreds. But when you came, it just wanted love. And, and I have that effect on dogs, except for Nathan Freshour. I don't know if he's still in here, but he has a dog named Newton who's a beautiful dog, but Newton does not like me. Uh, Newton is a bad judge of character. <laughs> but other dogs, typically, it's good. And, or a cat. This cat never comes out, but it came out to see you. And I'm like, I just, I, I have a way with animals. So back to the seagulls that were on this, um, this pier. One seagull was normal. It was, it was looking for a free lunch. But I, I looked down at the other seagull, and I noticed just literally by the look in its eye, something was wrong. And I looked down, and he was standing on, on one foot, and the other foot, it wasn't perched up like sometimes seagulls will perch up one of their legs and just happily rest on the one that's strong. But this one was, was more doing this with the one that wasn't touching the railing. And I realized as I looked a little bit closer that the foot of the seagull had been tangled up in fishing tackle. Um, not only was it tangled up in fishing tackle, but it was in bad shape. Um, the tackle was extremely tight around this poor bird's foot. Um, you could see a large hook. Um, you could see a lure. And the bird's foot was, was red from the infection that was being caused by, by this uh, tackle. It didn't look like it had been on there very long, just how it was setting and the fact that the, 
bird's foot still had some life to it. And I just felt so much compassion. I love animals. I am scared of birds, but I love animals more than I'm afraid of birds. And the seagull looked at me kind of like they do to the side of its eye. And I wanted to help. I wanted to do something about the tackle that had been wrapped around this poor bird's foot. And for some reason, um, whenever there's like an animal, I will call all animals, this is embarrassing to say, but I'll call all animals pup, like a puppy. And so I was like, come here, pup, come on, let me help you, let me help you. And, and I, it honestly looked like the bird thought about it. Um, it. It made this look at me like, yeah, I am in this bad position. And it, it looked at me curiously, and I kept calling, come on, come on, come on, pup, I can help you, let me get it off. I, I literally prayed, like, God, let this bird come to me. I'd like to untangle its foot from this tackle. And I don't know if I would have even been able to get the tackle off if the bird did come to me. But it was, it was a, a bad way. The other bird looked at it, and it kind of basically said, like, don't trust that human. Um, and I just kind of lingered. I wanted badly for this bird to, to kind of break away from its fear and its instincts and come and to let this, um, you know, higher power help it out. And the thought that came to my mind immediately was, it's going to lose its footing. That's the exact phrase that went through my mind. It's going to lose its footing. It's not going to be able to stand. It's going to lose its footing because it's going to lose its foot. The foot will fall off if it's lucky. But this infection, if it's bad enough, and if the tackle's not tight enough, it's going to kill the bird. And I, I had such compassion. And it didn't come to receive the help I was offering. So I started to walk away. I was there five, maybe ten minutes at the most. And the very second I walked away, this thought came to my mind. And I was told by my wife while I was there that I wasn't allowed to think about church um, while I'm away. That's hard to do. And so the thought that came to my mind was, this is a sermon. This will preach. How many people do I know? How many people in my church have tackle wrapped around themselves and they're about to lose their footing and God is offering them his help, but they refuse it because of all these reasons? And I started to think of people that need help. And God convicted me in an instant. So this is not for a sermon. This is for you right now. What tackle do you have wrapped around your foot that if I don't remove it, you will lose your footing, maybe even lose your life? And this phrase that I find in Scripture instantly came to mind. Read the Bible, know the Bible, study the Bible, guys, because David says about God's Word, he says, your word, God, have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against you. When you consume God's word, God's word is in you and it comes up at the right time. And as I, this is all within seconds of walking away from this bird. I hear, I heard the voice of Jesus in Mark chapter 10 say plainly, Anthony, what do you want me to do for you? Because this is not about other people. This is about you. What do you want me to do for you? And Jesus asked that question in Mark chapter 10. And we'll look at the verse together. It's Mark 10, verse 46 to 52. 
It says, Jesus and his disciples came to Jericho. They're on their way to Jerusalem. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd that was following them, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. What does the Bible tell us Bartimaeus was? It says Bartimaeus was a, what was he? A blind beggar. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, sitting by the roadside. And when Bartimaeus heard that this was Jesus with this crowd that was walking out of the city of Jericho, Bartimaeus began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked Bartimaeus, telling him to shut up, be quiet, be silent. You're going to disrupt Jesus. You're going to ruin this holy mood. But Bartimaeus cried out even more, even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And the crowd that was with Jesus called, what does it say he is? It called the blind man. The, the crowd that was with Jesus called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, have courage, be encouraged. Take heart, get up, Jesus is calling you. If you leave with nothing today, let it be that verse. Amen. Take heart, get up, Jesus is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus asks him the stupidest question. He does. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And Mark, to point out how ridiculous the question seemed, because it's not really ridiculous. To point it out, Mark writes down, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, teacher, let me recover my sight. I'm blind. I want to see. Duh. It's obvious. He's a blind beggar. Jesus doesn't need to ask, but he does. I don't know why Jesus needs to ask. I don't know why we even need to pray, to, if I'm being very transparent, because he knows our needs already. I, I, I was uh, like 11 o'clock, three or four, well, it was like 11 o'clock about a, a week ago, I guess it was now. Um, God just persistently kept putting someone from our church on my heart, like, what do you need, God? Why? Why? like, pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. And I literally said, I don't need to. You already know. He said, don't care. Pray for them anyways. I don't know why God calls us to intercede on other people's behalf, but he does. And he responds in faith. And he responds in the faith of those that we pray for. And I know that Jesus is like a good father who wants his children to ask for what they want. And as a good father, he enjoys them. He enjoys you and me coming to him directly to tell him exactly what we want because he takes pleasure in giving it to us. 
Jesus says that a father is not going to give their child a snake if they ask for a fish to eat. A father is not going to give their child a rock if they ask for bread to eat. He says, how much more will your father who is in heaven give the spirit to those who ask? People who are evil, they give their kids good things. But how much more good things will I give you? God likes to hear from us. God likes to hear from us about others. I don't get it. I don't understand, but he does. And so he asked this guy what seems to be this stupid question, what do you want me to do from you? And Mark's like, he's a blind man. I don't get it. He obviously wants to see. And he says, let me recover my sight. And Jesus says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately Bartimaeus recovered his sight. And, and I, we don't have time to preach on this, but I love what he does. He doesn't recover his sight and go home. It says he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way as well. If Jesus really grabs a hold of your life, you don't go your own way. You go his way. His way is better. So you follow him. So speaking his need out loud to Jesus show that he truly had faith that Jesus could actually do this thing. And Jesus loved and cared for him enough to ask him what he wanted and to hear him say, as a child, ask a father, I want my sight. And a father gave to his child what was good. So back to the pier, I'm walking away sad at the circumstance of the seagull and I heard the voice of Jesus from Mark 10, because I've read the verse many times, Anthony, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? And I started to ask, well, I don't know, what, what do I want God to do? I don't have any tackle around my feet, Jesus. I'm, I'm good. But I can sure notice the tackle on other people's feet, so I want to pray for them. No, 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 what, what's the tackle on, on your feet? Now, I was, uh, at the time, I, I've been suffering kind of a, some health problems, and I was pretty sick on this particular vacation. And as I was struggling, the obvious thing that I want Jesus to do for me was to heal me from this health issue I've been suffering from. And so I was like, okay, obviously, I want Jesus to heal me. And he's like, that's not what it is. And as I was about to say, Jesus, I want you to heal me from this health issue issue I'm dealing with. Instead, he said to me, what, what's in your heart? Your health issue, that's, that's important, but, but what do you really want? And things in my heart started to kind of play in front of my mind's eye. So what do you want me to do for you? And these are the words that came to mind. Fear worry, anxiety, depression. And I had this overwhelming sense of the fact that Jesus wanted me to bring to him a lack of confidence. And I kept saying in my own head, no, it's insecurity. And Jesus said, no, it's a lack of confidence. What do you want me to do for you? Bring it. Bring it to me. And so I started to speak out loud. I started 
when I would approach someone else to say in my mind these things. Here is what I want you to do for me, Jesus. Here's the tackle on my feet. And I was seeking the Lord, and I was walking and praying and seeking and walking and praying. And I walked to the very end of the pier, and I, I kind of sat at the end. I watched people fish, and I just kept asking, God, what else is there? Search my heart, O Lord. Try me and know my ways, and let not there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. That's a psalm. What is it, God? He didn't show me anything else. I just kept praying for those things. And what happened next, I, I could not in a million years make up. I walked to the end of the pier, and I was going to walk into the downtown region of this town to look around um, to buy hats at gas stations and um, look at things that I want to buy and then regret that I didn't buy when I was there. And I walked around for a couple of hours ate lunch, but on my way to do that, there was this beautiful set of stairs that went from the sea level up to the town level. I like architecture. This is somewhat of Art Deco style. These stairs were likely built in the 1920s. I was like, yes, this is beautiful. What a majestic stairway I'm about to walk up to walk through this town. All the while, I have this bird on my mind. And to the right of those stairs was a small cafe that sold acai bowls and smoothies and coffee. There were some electric bikes and scooters for rent. There was a crowd of about 30 people dispersed over maybe 1,000 or 2,000 square feet just kind of hanging around this area. As I walk up to the stairs, I get a glimpse of a very young woman in her 20s. She looks very old. Her skin is weathered. Her hair is ratted. Her clothes are tattered, and she's in a wheelchair. And she's begging beside the cafe. And she's not using her hands to move herself in the wheelchair. And I say this with deep honor and respect towards this woman. There's no, there's no nice way to say what I'm about to say. She was moving around in the wheelchair using the stubs where her feet used to be, pulling herself along the sidewalk with stubs. And there in front of me was the end result of that seagull. Because the thing that came to mind instantaneously was this seagull is going to lose its footing. And I was like, yes, yeah, so many people are going to, I'm going to tell people. And the guy's like, no, what, what's around your ankle? And I don't know how coincidence works. I don't know how fate works. I don't know how the sovereignty of God works. But you couldn't make this up. I don't know why this all worked out like it did. But here she is. And this woman represented a seagull who was unwilling to receive the love and help from its father to untangle the tackle that was literally around her own legs. So, Pastor, how do you know how she got that way? I've seen this before with other people. Uh, radical drug addiction and disease can cause a lot of very unfortunate 
I was sad for this girl, pulling herself along without feet. And I was sad for the seagull that was on the road to the same place. And so now I'm not only aware that we've got stuff that we need the Lord to remove, but if we don't have him remove it, we'll literally lose our footing. And God used that, just that little part of the story to so touch someone this morning at 9 a.m., like about that woman in the wheelchair and, and how he's like, that is me. I'm just pulling myself along by feet I've lost, and I want to get them back. So I went about my day praying all along for God to show me what needs to be removed from me. And on the way back to the hotel, I stop again at the pier. And as I walk onto the pier, I get back to that same area where those structures were towards the, about a third of the way down the pier. And over to the right, I catch in the corner of my eye another seagull. And we, I have a picture of this exact seagull. I, I took a picture. What do you notice? His foot's gone. This was a different seagull altogether. So earlier in the morning, the seagull with a tackle wrapped around his feet. Immediately afterwards, a, a woman with no feet who had lost her footing. And I come back and here's the seagull. You see, God wants to help you get the tackle off your feet. And I know it's a little cliche, but hear me out. God does not want you to lose your footing. What do you want him to do for you? I could think of a hundred reasons why that seagull would not come to me. I can think of a hundred more, hundreds more of why I don't go to God. I can think of thousands of things that cause us to not go to God. Some people just don't, just flat out don't believe in him. There's not a lot of people that flat out just don't believe in God of any sort, but some people just don't believe. So how would you go to help to something you don't even know is there? More than people who don't believe, too many people believe that God can't do it. I mean, to some level, most people believe in some form of God, but they don't believe God can do it. What's a bigger struggle for so many of us seagulls is that so many of us don't believe that God is good. We know God could do it. We believe in some idea of God, but we don't think God's good. And because he's not good, why would he do anything good for us? Many of us, because of relationships we've had in our own past, we don't think that God can be trusted. So why would we trust him to go to him with our tackle? I think more of us believe that we don't deserve it. Why would I deserve God to untangle me? You think that you're too far gone. You think that you've done too much. You think that you're not good enough. And I need to take this tackle off myself before I come to God. I shouldn't have to ask God for help. I shouldn't have gotten to this point to begin with, if I wouldn't have been flying around the fishermen trying to get a free lunch, I would have never got tangled up in their lines. And so I don't even have a right to go before God. I want you to know you've got, you've got a right to go before God. Not in your own right, but just out of the right of the love that he has for you. 
He is good. You may not deserve it, but he wants to lavish you with it. He wants to give it to you. If I would have done this, I got myself here. And I was trying to think about, like, I don't, this could be heresy if you're not careful, but I was real careful, like, when we say things like, I got myself here. I shouldn't have done that. None of that matters to God in this moment. It matters to God. That's why I was like, I want to be careful. What we do matters to God. But when you're in a place where God is offering you help, what you've done matters so much to him that he wants to fix it. And so we have all these matters that have built up that actually God doesn't care about. It doesn't matter to him right now. Right now, he just wants to help. He wants to restore sight to blind men so that they can leap with joy and follow him. Tell him what you need. Tell him what you want him to do for you. He's calling. He's calling for you. Get up. Take heart. Take courage. Come to him. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to him. Tell him what you need him to remove from you, and he's good, and he'll respond to your faith. And if you think your faith is not big enough for God to respond to, if I recall, Jesus told a story about faith the size of a mustard seed. Jesus isn't out looking for superheroic faith. Jesus is looking for faith. And if you would trust in him, he'll respond. He'll remove from you what's needed. But here I am face to face with this seagull. And again, I don't understand coincidence. I don't understand the sovereignty of God. But this seagull, I knew that just as much as the first seagull and just as much as the woman without feet in the wheelchair, God was trying to show me something through this seagull. I was like, what is it about this seagull? Why is it different than the other one? It's already lost its foot. Here's what I noticed about this seagull. This seagull was healthy. It was strong. It was fat. Its plumage was clean. And in order, it was standing confidently, even though it was only standing on one foot. The wounds around the foot that it lost were healed. Was there a scar? Oh, yeah. Had it lost its footing? Yes, literally. But it stood there confident. And if it could have had a smile on its beak, this seagull would have. This seagull represented hope. This seagull was basically saying with its leg, I'm okay. I'm all right. This seagull stood confidently, strongly on the one remaining foot. And this seagull had zero fear. 
I got real close to this seagull. It did not care. See, this bird represented that you can come back from losing your footing. You may have not let God remove the tackle from you before, and you may have hit rock bottom before, but God can deliver you from rock bottom. God can strengthen you. God can heal you. And this bird represented hope. See, you might have scars. You might walk with a limp. You might have even lost something that was significant to you. Literally here, your footing. But even then, even now, if you're still breathing, after you have succumbed to the thing that had bound you and hit rock bottom, just like the blind man, Jesus is here. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. Jesus wants you to tell him what you want him to do for you. And so if you find yourself without a foot, what do you even say? Help me, lock, help me to walk again. I lost my footing. Give me strength. I've lost my footing. Rebuild my hope. I've lost my foot. Let my scars be my testimonies. Help me to find something greater than the thing that I lost. Restore my joy. And let me know your love. Uh, Greg Bratlin, he was here at 9 a.m. He's my friend and one of our elders here at Free Church. And he told me on Friday something really rude. He was like, Anthony, I'm really glad that you went through an extremely difficult time um, years ago. Like, thank you for that, Greg. I appreciate that. It's like, because that made you who you are today. That, that, that made you better to go through something bad. How many of you want to go through bad times so you can be better? No one? No, we don't want that. So what do you have that you need Jesus to remove from you? Not, oh, I know a person, but you. What do you have that you need Jesus to remove from you? And maybe you didn't allow him to remove it. And now, it's literally too late for him to remove it because you lost your footing. If that's you, what do you need Jesus to do for you to pick you back up again and to make you strong? This, this seagull was the happiest seagull of all the seagulls on the pier that day. Yeah, he'd lost his footing. And it, it literally had to be the same result of the first seagull. And I didn't take a picture of it, but right next to the seagull was a sign. And again, you couldn't make all this up. Right next to this seagull was a sign that said, pick up your fishing tackle or birds will get tangled in it. And he's like, yeah, I know. I, I'm here to, <laughs> to, to let people, it's, it's for real. Look at my stub. But he was cool. He was all right. He'd learned and it some, somehow, even though he didn't have someone remove the tackle, 
he did have his very creator help him stand back up again. So we could end right here, and I could send you guys home. and be like, that's, I'm just going to ask Jesus to remove something, and I'm good. But there's one more thing I want to mention to you, and we'll be done. And I'll ask Ryan to come up. You can come and play guitar behind me and get ready to lead this church in worship. One thing I want to mention before we close. Sometimes you do go to Jesus. Sometimes you're aware of the tackle around your feet. And you get up, you do take heart, and you do go to him when he calls. Sometimes you ask Jesus to remove the tackle from your foot. And it does not come off all at once. Because I want to be real. I don't want to send you home with platitudes. I want to talk about real life. Sometimes you beg for Jesus to remove something from you. And it doesn't all come off at once. And if we're being honest, sometimes it feels like it doesn't come off at all. For some reason, sometimes it's a process. And for some reason, sometimes that process involves the S word, suffering. Sometimes we ask and we ask and we ask. And it doesn't all come off at once, and it feels like we're suffering. And so the Bible addresses this. If, this is, if you're that seagull that's like, here it is, I'm here, and Jesus slowly takes it off. It's like, why aren't you doing this all at once? So Paul, who I can say confidently was the greatest Christian minister to ever walk this earth, besides Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, he says this in verse 7. He's like, hey guys, I've had a lot of amazing things happen in my life. I've had some amazing revelations from God. And in verse 7, he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, to keep me humble, to keep me from being arrogant, Because of the surpassing greatness of all the revelations I've experienced, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me and to keep me humble, to keep me from becoming conceited. Well, Paul, why didn't you just ask Jesus to remove it? He's like, I'm glad you asked. I did. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn, that it should leave me. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. Literally, no one gets excited about that. Let's be real. That sucks right? That stinks. Three times I asked. Jesus says, I got you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. 
my power is made perfect in you, in your weakness. So Paul says this, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul's not saying it, but if we're not careful, it could sound like I just said, bring on the suffering so I can experience more of God's power. How many of you are like, that's me, just bring it on, more suffering. I need to be humbled. I boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. Yikes. I am content with insults. I am content with hardships. I am content with persecutions. And I, I love this last word. He's like, and anything else? Calamity. I'm content with that too. For when I am weak, then I am strong. But we live our lives as if when we're not weak, then we are strong. But Paul says, no, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Because what I've learned in the midst of suffering is that when you and I suffer, we actually have to rely on God more. When we suffer, we have to rely on that grace that's sufficient for us. And when we suffer, we have to come before God in our weakness to experience his strength. So here's what I want you to know. If you've got thorns, if you have tackle wrapped around your foot, despite that, you are free from the thorn. That doesn't make sense. Oh, it will. You are free from the tackle wrapped around your foot. You don't have to succumb to the thorn. You don't have to give up because of the tackle. You don't have to resign to defeat because of what you are entangled in. And here's something very powerful. You don't have to give in to the temptation that the enemy throws your way because of the thorn. You are free in Christ. But you may not experience that freedom in full until Christ returns or calls you home. Through this season of suffering, you're relying more on grace and his power is displayed in your weakness and you've got to lean into it more. And in this suffering, you're growing in humility. And here... I think is the most special thing about suffering. In this suffering, you're actually growing in compassion towards others who know no freedom at all. And they'll see the freedom that you have in your suffering and they too will want to be freed in Christ so that they can be free ultimately of what they suffer from. And so you might ask God to remove the tackle of lust from your heart. You may ask God to remove the tackle of alcoholism from your heart. You may ask God to remove the tackle of addiction in your heart and still battle it daily. You hear that? You're begging God to, to release you from you're saying, why am I still battling it? Your freedom right now may not be found in the removal of your temptation. 
But here's where your freedom is found. Pay close attention. Your freedom is found in the strength and freedom in Christ to resist it. You resist in Christ. And your freedom is found in complete freedom from it at the appearing of Jesus. I was talking to someone who came up for prayer at the end of the service, like, I've cried out to God to release me from porn again again and again and again and time after a time, and I am so addicted and bound to pornography. And I said, but listen to what you're saying. Your heart desires to be free of it. You've put your faith in Christ. I hear your heart. I hear your faith, and you want him to remove it. And we're going to pray until we die that he does remove it. But the freedom that you have now is the freedom to resist it. And the freedom that you have now is the freedom to know that one day this will be removed. You might be asking God to remove the tackle of depression. You might be asking him to remove the tackle of anxiety, of fear, of stress, of mental illness. But you continue to face and battle it daily. One of the strongest most faithful Christians I've ever had the privilege of knowing was someone who suffered severely with mental illness, who pleaded daily with God to remove it, but found freedom in Christ to be able to face it. And that guy's got way more faith than I've ever dreamt of having. So your freedom might not be found in complete removal right now. Your freedom might not be found in complete healing, but in the strength of your faith, in the security of your relationship with Christ, and the hope that you have in a future where there will be no more suffering. So for some of you, it's, it's pornography. For some of you, it's alcoholism, it's addiction, it's depression, it's anxiety, it's worry, it's fear, it's mental illness. For some of you, it's living a way that you know God doesn't want you to live. It's funny how we don't have to always shout about sins because the Holy Spirit does a pretty good job of convicting us of those sins if we'd listen. What do you do if, if that's you? Here's what I want you to do. Keep on asking. Keep asking for the complete removal. Keep asking for healing from those things. Keep standing in the freedom you have in Christ right now. Keep standing in the ultimate freedom you will possess one day. Keep fighting, keep facing, keep battling, keep resisting these things until your complete healing is obtained because it will be. One more thing that is not so fun. Every time the Lord has removed something from my foot, and he miraculously has, by the way. I, I, can, I can name dozens of things that I can say, yes, the Lord has healed me of that. The Lord has removed this thorn from my flesh. Every time the thorn gets removed, every time the tackle gets unwound, I notice something else. There's always something else. And that is the beauty of a God who loves us despite our something else and who continuously frees us from that something else. You see, sometimes you'll have an injury 
and the pain is so intense and you hit your finger with a hammer on your right hand and you have to start using the other hand because of the pain in this hand and then you hit it on the other hand and you're like, oh, this one doesn't hurt anymore because this one hurts a lot worse all of a sudden. Or you're suffering from some health crisis and you're like, oh, I just want to be delivered of this and all of a sudden like, whoa, I got a new health crisis that's worse and I forgot about this one. That's okay, you keep fighting. You keep facing the battle. You keep resisting it. You keep the faith. You keep pushing forward. Keep moving. Keep asking. God will deliver it. And the beauty is, is that someone will look at you and say, hey, I I used to see that thorn or that tackle and it's gone now. And you're like, yes, let me pray that God will remove yours and let me tell you about the thing I'm dealing with now so that, because we're on level ground here. Your sin's not worse than mine. Your struggle is not worse than mine. We're all pushing in and pressing in for the exact same thing. Would you guys kill the house lights? If I could just ask you guys to close your eyes in a moment of prayer so you can eliminate any kind of distraction. What's the tackle on your feet? I watched a bunch of people at our first service today walk out the door with tackle on their feet. What's the tackle on your feet? He's calling you. He's here. Take heart. He's asking you, what do you want me to do for you? He's asking you, what do you want me to remove from you? And, and when you hear his voice ask that, not one of us in this room is saying like, oh, I want him to give me a new car. No, none of us think that because we know that doesn't matter. It's your heart that's talking. What do you want him to do for you? What do you want him to remove for you, from you? Tell him. Tell him. This morning as we prayed for people, we said, say it, say it out loud. What is it? What is it? Okay, let's give it to Jesus. Let's ask him to remove it. Some of you are in such a dire situation because you didn't get the tackle removed before and now you are missing your feet. And you're having to move around on stumps. God can rebuild you. He can restore you. He can pick you back up. He can heal you. He can help you. He can deliver you. He can pick you back up so you could stand like that silly bird (laughs) with its missing foot with confidence. And that scar will be your greatest testimony. That scar is on that bird. That footless bird is beautiful because it shows of the hope and the redemption of God. So if you'd say this morning, I have tackle. I've already hit rock bottom. I need to be built back up or I need this tackle removed. Would you just, will you stand to your feet right now and come up to the altar? Just right now, wherever you are, stand to your feet. Some of you are deeply moved by this. I can hear and see it. Stand up, move, come up to the altar. We want to pray for you as we begin to sing. So that's, that's me. I, I need prayer. 
We're going to have some of our leaders come up and we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. I'm going to lead this time in prayer and Ryan's going to begin to sing and the majority of us here have tackle on our feet. Don't leave with it wrapped around. Come and ask Jesus. You say, well, pastor, having a pastor pray for me or doing this in church, it, it doesn't, that's not anything more special than me doing it on my own. I would say, you're right. You're absolutely right. But this is the time. Now, now is the time to respond. Would you guys stand as we begin to sing, as you begin to come up and receive prayer? God, we ask, we ask that you'd remove this thing. We ask you deliver us from what binds us, the tackle that entangles us, the thorn in our flesh. Jesus, we boldly proclaim this is what we want you to do for us. This is what we want you to remove from us. And God, if we have crashed and we've hit bottom, would you pick us back up again? And as you change us and sanctify us and move in us, would you cause us to continuously go back to the cross to give you more and more and more so that we can find true and lasting freedom in you? In Jesus' name. Let's sing and come up if you'd like prayer this morning.